This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, I'm Hanif Baharuddin and you're tuned into the show that brings you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Before embarking on a life-changing journey that has strengthened his relationship and understanding of the Orang Asli community, Daniel Teo has a very on-the-surface knowledge of them. But that changed when he started engaging with the community via a voluntary initiative. It soon led to the creation of Native, a social enterprise that connects the Orang Asli community to the public via community-based tourism. Daniel joins us on the show to share his journey and challenges. So, hi everyone, my name is Daniel. I'm the founder of Native a social enterprise based here in Malaysia that works with Orang Asli communities to build businesses. We used to focus mainly on tourism businesses, um, but now we are exploring uh, durians as well given the pandemic, which I'm sure Hanif will walk us through later. <laughs> yeah, okay. So so I, I guess we can talk about that uh, later, Biji Bumi Durian. I think you've been featured on our station as well, right? Uh, on Breaking Bread, talking about it. But before we start, yeah, maybe you can tell me the story of Native. How did it come about? Oh, sure. So actually, Native was more of like a, um, shall we say, a happy accident in many ways. I, I don't think I started out with the whole idea of venturing into tourism with Orang Asli. So it really starts um, maybe about six, seven years ago on my first um, encounter with Orang Asli, where I volunteered with this organization called Epic Homes, which is a great organization that does great work as well with Orang Asli. And I went to build a home in an RSC community. At the time, I really knew nothing about the RSC. Only like, you know, those one, two pages you read in your Sejarah textbook. Um, and the rest really um, was a blank to me. But then I had the opportunity to really get to know them where I loved my volunteering experience. So I went back again and again and again. And eventually I formed a certain relationship with the RSC. Where then instead of being the RSC, you know, they started to have names like Faisal, IRP. And they became my friends. And like any friends do, we started hanging out. And this included in the forest around the neighborhood where they would make all their traditional meals, which tasted amazing. And eventually one day, um, there was this opportunity from Airbnb uh, experiences where they asked like, oh, would you like to host something on our platform? And I was like, hey, why not? Like, So I asked my friend Faisal whether he would be interested because I thought that you know they've shown me such great hospitality. They have such interesting things to do and see like where they live and he was like okay we'll give it a try so we put it up online um i I was quite pessimistic about the turnout you know at first but it turns out that within the first day that we put it up we were fully booked so we had 10 guests coming so excitedly me and faisal like put things together where his wife would cook and he would like map out this trail um at the back of some which would become later um, the tomon village trail um and the rest is history we started off with one tour once a month we turned out that, you know, people really liked it. So we kept doing it. And eventually we also saw that from just Faisal, his wife got involved, his uncle got involved, his neighbors got involved. And we slowly became like this small team. And because the Orang Asli circle is quite um, tight-knit, so eventually other communities heard about what we were doing and we were invited to go there as well. And eventually we grew into what Native is today. Mm, okay, that's interesting. Um, can you tell me more about your relationship or your friendship with Faisal? So actually for Faisal, I, I think like, you know, um, even the basis of how we started off says a lot about the initiative he has as an individual. Because what stood out to me was um, when I first went to the village, of course, I, I was just like eager to want to 
help in some way where I, of course, had some expertise when it came to building like small homes. And Faisal was one of the people who said, hey, like I'm working on something, like could you help me out? So he had actually already like built half of his own home, but he had run out of resources um, halfway just because um, he had some issues with employment. So he had like this half done structure, but I think I found it like super impressive that he had already come so far. So we just worked together to finish it over the span of about a year, including like fundraising, um, gathering the people to start construction. And I think throughout that process is when we really became uh, friends, lah, where, you know, I would see him uh, on and off. And I think the, just the process of like, you know, sitting in the sun together, putting bricks together, I think um, that helped. Mm, all right. So is Faisal still actively involved with what you do at Native? Uh, not right now. Just because like the village in Somali, um, they're not really, I would say like um, they were mainly our tourism heavy um, community where unfortunately, given the pandemic, it's not really safe to run things with them right now. Lah. Mm, okay. So Native focuses primarily on tourism, but there are also multiple ways you approach it, right? So maybe you can help explain uh, the kind of services that you have. Sure. So, of course, um, we started off with tourism experiences open to the public, where we wanted to give people first-hand um, encounters with the Asti so that they can really understand the culture for themselves and meet the people and not be like me, right? like once upon a time where all I know is just what was written in a textbook. Right? And then eventually we started to evolve a little bit when we realized like, oh, there's actually opportunities um, in the education space. Um, amongst universities or even schools where students, of course, um, want to learn about a different culture that is quite different, but is Malaysian all the same. So we started catering to universities, um, both locally and abroad. So our business started to grow um, in that space as well. And then we also realized that, you know, of course, with the pandemic, where physical experiences are no longer possible, it's not, at least it's not safe to do so. Then we went into um, exploring products. So we started off with a home weave kit of sorts where Dorang Asi would package like mengkuang leaves that you could then fold at home into like a bookmark and a traditional headdress. And of course, we had like an instructional video of Dorang Asi doing it. Um, we discontinued that after our pilot just because we realized that it was quite hard um, to coordinate with the Orang Asli remotely to develop the product. Um, but then I think um, we really hit goal. Uh, you know, I think the term is like durian runtuh, right? So the literal durian runtuh uh, last year, um, because I think the Orang Asli durians are a big part of their culture. And every year, in fact, they would invite me or even friends from outside of the village to go over and enjoy durians during the durian season. And upon that, I also learned that, hey, like durian kampung is not really just durian kampung. They actually have different names or different trees, different varieties. And last year, we just tried selling the durians to really learn about them. And this year, we evolved it into our spin-off brand, Bijibumi Durian, um, which now sells differentiated durians to hope to bring our Asli heritage in the form of delicious durians to urban people like you and me. Hmm, okay, so there's a bit of everything there. Um, let's talk about the tours that you provided uh, last time. Uh, what, what do they go through uh, in a tour? Hmm. So um, back then we had like two flagship tours, or if you count last year as well, in the short window we had three. So the first one was like the Temuan Village Trail where um, it was more of a hiking trail. So you would walk through this back end of the Sungai Tekala Reserve um, through the areas that are technically the reserve land of the Orang Asli village. 
So then the RSE would walk you through and show you different elements of nature and some things that they know. So things like the sumpit poison, the trees that it's made from, the different animals you might spot. There's some element of surprise in that as well. And I think that one is quite like physically uh, challenging. So there's more for like hikers, those who are more into physical activity. And then we also have like the Gomba Indigenous Affairs in Gomba, where it's more um, you learn the cultural stories through um, one of the people you work with. His name is Raman. So he would teach you things like how to start fires, how to solve like traditional puzzles, what's the significance of it. And then last year we had, in conjunction with selling durians, we also had durian tours. I think that was a bestseller um, where you could hike like three, four hours into the hills where the durians grow and you could eat durians right there and then. So, so there's a bit of everything for everyone, right? I mean, I think you cater it for people who are interested in culture. They can perhaps join the more cultural uh, tours. Um, for people who are more uh, adventurous, they can perhaps join the more uh, adventurous tour, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so the whole idea is to you know get people interested right, in learning about the young athlete, but that also needs to be through the lens of something they are already like loving or they enjoy. So whether it's a hype, whether it's a curiosity about a culture, we really want to cater to that. Mm. As for engaging with all the orang asli communities, you don't limit yourself to only one community in, in the Klang Valley, uh, but rather uh, multiple communities uh, around the area, right? Uh, yes, at least for those within the Klang Valley, because within themselves, they are already quite interconnected. Like they have cousins here, um, relatives here and there. So it's easy to maintain a strong relationship. Mm. Um, can you perhaps share uh, which Orangsli communities did you engage with? Uh, sure. So we work with Kampung Sungai Lalang in Semenye. Um, we also work with Kampung Batu Duablas and Anamblas in Gomba. Um, there's also Kampung Gurni in Ulu Yam in the Hulu Selangor area. And most recently, um, there's also Kampung Serendah also in the Hulu Selangor area. That was Daniel Teo, founder of Native, a social enterprise that collaborates with the Orang Asli community to provide community-based activities for tourists. We're going for a short break. Stay tuned. I'm Hanif Baharudin and you're listening to I Love KL on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. I'm Hanif Baharudin. Joining me this week is Daniel Teo. He's the founder of Native, a social enterprise that works with the Orang Asli community to open their doors to the public. It has been quite an interesting journey for him despite the challenges that he's currently facing due to the pandemic. In order to execute something of this nature, they have to tactfully engage with the community to ensure a fair and balanced relationship. Daniel walks us through the process of engaging with all the communities that he worked with. So I think um, for us, uh, with Sungai Lalang, you know, that was just through my own personal involvement as an on-the-ground volunteer, where I got to know Faisal and then from, by extension, the rest of the community. And then for the other um, kampungs, it's a lot to do with like pre-existing relationships as well. So it's not as if, you know, we wandered in one day and I was like, hey, do you want to do something with us? But typically it's through recommendations from like um, certain other NGOs or social enterprises we are close with um, who already know someone who might be interested but doesn't really have, um, and when I say someone, I mean an honestly local who might be interested in doing a tourism business or exploring business in some way but um, hasn't had the resources or opportunity to do so. So based on that recommendation, we enter have a conversation with them 
and you know, it's I, I think it's by virtue of just spending more time and having an open conversation, you get to know more people. Um, there's a certain approach we take, um, but I think that's quite lengthy to speak about, maybe. But we do take time to build that relationship, lah. Well, I don't mind hearing a bit about it. I mean, if you can perhaps shorten it a bit because uh, it's interesting to at least hear about how you approach it, right? Like, because I don't think it's as simple as just coming in with a proposal. I think there needs to be like a negotiation of trust as well to a certain extent. And even like making sure that the relationship is also fair between both parties, right? Yep, yep, definitely. So when we first enter, of course, we on- typically only meet like one individual perhaps. So that's typically um, the person who is the would-be local entrepreneur, per se, or like the Tokbatin or the village chairman. And from there, we explain like, oh, this is what we do and like these are some things that we could do with you. But that also depends on what is it that you actually want to achieve. So we have that conversation, um, a more open one, about where they would like to see themselves as well. And then we would then ask them, hey, then could you call everyone who is interested in working with you? Because it is really unlikely that you know you can grow something on your own given the nature of um, what we do. And then they would go on to invite other villagers, whether it's immediate family or even at a wider scale, they go around the village and tell people that, hey, um, Native is coming. This is what they do. If you're interested, like let's all sit down and talk together. So from there, we'll have a big group discussion and then we'll go through things. Lah. So like, oh, what's your expectations? What can you do? Um, what's your interests? And as we start to boil down to specific activities, let's say a hike, then we will also talk to them about, oh, so um, what's the best arrangement for you in terms of compensation? Like, what are your expectations? What works for you? And then we'll start to build an offering that makes sure that we can also meet the expectations of the RST, if not exceed them. And then we will move on to actually doing things together. Lah. And then there's that always, like, there's, we always keep that space open if the RST want to change things, um, if they want to make improvements or they want to scale back, we always leave that open as well. Mm. Who are your demographic that so far has, has signed up for this program? Mm. Well, I think in the past, at least when international travel was a thing, I would say it's about 50-50. So we do get a lot of travelers from the US, um, from Western countries that definitely are more um, interested to explore a different side of Malaysia. And I think indigenous culture is something that's not really easy to access, especially in KL. But we also get very curious locals who want to learn more about Malaysia, which is really encouraging. I think, I think like, I, I really love that. I think very similarly, um, you know, many people know that the Orang Asia exists, but they've never really had the opportunity to really, like, get to know them as people and as a culture. So I would say, like, it's really 50-50. Lah. And I think the reception has so far been good. I, I would say to date, at least, um, I mean, you can't really count the past year, lah, but we brought in about 300 plus people on, on tours. Um, and I think so far, everyone has always appreciated having that encounter with the Orang Asli. Apart from, I guess, having like a, a one-off visit to, to the Orang Asli community, uh, it's also important to have a longer-term understanding or um, engagements with the communities, right? So um, you're you're in the business, so perhaps I guess your relationship is pretty much secured in that sense. But for people out there who join um, your initiatives, your programs, uh, but want to do the same, I guess, want to extend that relationship beyond just like a one-off tour, how can they go about that? You know, because I think at the end of the day, um, as much as one-off tour is pretty important, it's also important to somehow, I guess, have a longer term or like have a more uh, fruitful engagement beyond just, you know, like a one-off tour. Mm. Oh, definitely. So I think it depends on what you might want, right? Whether it's you really want to immerse yourself deeply in this culture, 
or you just want to be an ally to the wrong asli. So, so I think it might take very different forms. I think, um, of course, of course, the one-off tour is more of like, you know, in the same way where we get an introduction, it's kind of our way of introducing you to a community so that you also can familiarize yourself with them. And how you navigate your relationship after that is really up to you. Um, I think it's always good to spend more time with the community. And I think for us as well, that's why we make it a point to have a wider offering, right? not just one tour. So you have multiple touch points. Of course, it's a business decision for us as well, but it's also a social one where we want to give people different ways of interacting with the Arngasli, whether it's supporting them through like um, business, whether it's buying durians or showing up and actually spending time with them through tours. And we don't limit how our guests interact with the Arngasli after as well. So that's really up to them. And we hope that our guests after you know having that um, encounter with the Arngasli, they will also learn more in their own time where they can also then share with other people like what they've learned and what are things that, you know, the RNRC value and also become advocates in their own way. So I think, you know, the interaction doesn't always have to be an active one, but it can be something that you carry with you and spread. Hmm, all right. Okay, so uh, you've hinted at, at the pandemic, you know, disrupting the business. So let's talk about it, right? Um, it's obvious that I guess it has affected the business, uh, but what was it like for you and how did you cope with it? Um, you've hinted at Bijibu Media, so perhaps maybe you can talk a bit more about that as well. Sure, sure. So I think when the pandemic first arrived, to be honest, like, I, I, there was a sense of like denial. <laughs> I think I was like, oh, you know, this is going to be over in like three months. I think a lot of people thought that. So for the first three months, of course, um, we just um, stopped operations. I think our top priority was safety of our communities. And because... Um, our communities that we work with are also um, under the coverage of Selangor and a lot of other NGOs. It was really nice for us to know that, you know, there was aid being given when needed. So we just paused operations and then that's when we experimented with launching like the home weave kit um, that I mentioned earlier and also um, looking for different ways lah, that we could continue business without bringing people into the kampong. Um, so that's about when uh, we started Durance in 2020. Back then, it was just sold under native. Um, we didn't really know too much about it. Completely new. Um, but we realized that that's actually a market for this. And I think the RNRC were more than happy to have a different channel of selling. And we also realized that actually we are solving some issues that the RNRC face as entrepreneurs when it comes to durian as well. Like middlemen who press down their prices, people who aren't really having discussions with them and having like excess durian that they can't sell. So we became a channel to help solve all that. Um, and eventually, like this year, because we learned a lot about durians, like about how every tree is different, how um, the RNRC name every individual durian. So durian kampung really just isn't durian kampung. And that's when we were able to build our offering at Bumi, which is now, um, I would say, quite core in sustaining us lah, as a business this year. Mm, okay. Um, but going back to the orang asli communities, um, to a certain extent, I guess your native initiative has also given them uh, an income avenue, right? Um, so how did they, how did they, they cope with the pandemic? And and not just not just perhaps from a, from a, from a, I guess source of income perspective, I would like to also you know just want to know like how have they been coping with the pandemic? Well, I I would say the pandemic has been especially rough for the RSD in the sense that you know many of them work day jobs. That's their livelihood. Um, when it's not like durian season or any fruiting season. So you can imagine with the pandemic, with certain restrictions, they are unable to work. Um, and that leads to a loss of income. And hence, you know, you really got to tighten your belt as an orangasty person. I think it also has 
uh, widen the divide in education amongst their children. Because I think, you know, um, as an RRC child going to a rural school, you might not already have access to some of the same things an urban school in KL might. But with suddenly everything needing to be online and many of the RRC don't have access to like stable internet, um, I, I definitely think like a lot of the children are also being impacted from an education perspective. Yeah, I, I would say those are probably the two biggest issues. I think within Selangor, um, the food supply chain is still decent because there's a strong presence of NGOs um, within this area. Um, other than that, I would say really it's just not pleasant for them either. Like, I, I mean, you know, of course, um, they do have access to the forest and things like that. So their lockdowns are a bit wide, like a bit greener, I would say. But I would say it's definitely still um, an unpleasant experience for them to be, you know, they then start to think that it's not safe for people to visit them or for them to leave the village. And I don't think anyone ever likes that restriction of freedom. Mm, all right. Um, how are you coping right now? I mean, as much as you have busy Bumidurian to fall back on to, you know, based on how things are right now, um, what was your, your outlook, right? Mm. So I think for us, you know, I, I think um, things have changed now and then and it has changed a lot even between like August last year and um, now. I think last year we were hoping for a recovery in domestic tourism by early this year. But given the situation um, in the country, we don't see that happening at least for the next three months. Um, we are preparing ourselves for when domestic tourism might return. And we believe it will, hopefully by latest Q1 2022. So we are preparing ourselves for that. Other than that, it's more of like, you know, of course, managing our costs and also seeing how we can continue to support the RST, um, even without active tours. So for example, in Kampung Serenda, um, we're really taking this time to build our offering with them. Right now, we can't be there with them physically. But we hope by the end of the year, we can resume like curating different elements. And when it becomes safe again for travel, we can return to that. And I think um, with, you know, of course, it wasn't something that we planned. But with like Bijibumi Durian, we plan to have that as a seasonal business that we will always operate now. Mm, all right. And I think based on what I've seen on your website, you also have some programs that you have, you're putting on hold for now, right? Uh, I think the like, for the second, the Orang Asli Museum too. Was that a program that was put on hold because of the pandemic? Mm, I would say that's a program that never launched <laughs> because of the pandemic, yeah. So so there were actually quite a few things that we were building, you know, we were hoping to launch in like April, May. For example, for us, we also wanted to launch overnight stays um, in July 2020 and we planned for it in February 2020. So all of those things never materialized. But we hope to revisit them soon, lah, when, again, when the pandemic, you know, is more controlled and we are confident that the situation is managed. And then we can um, revisit those. Mm, all right. Um, so you mentioned earlier in the interview that um, this is, I guess, an, an opportunity for you to learn more about the Orangsley communities, right? I think based on your prior engagements and even now. Um, so wh- where are you right now when it comes to, I guess, uh, your understanding um, of the community? Mm, well, I think for me, like, I'm always still learning. Every time I go, I think, you know, I've personally hosted like co-hosted i think more than 30 40 tours with Doran Asli, and every time i go i always learn something new so i would say it's unlikely i will ever finish learning i would like to think that i know them at a decent level like a acceptable level i, I don't know whether that's the right term but i i would say uh yeah i I'm, i would say i will never finish learning about them and the thing is like 
the Orang Asli themselves are a super diverse group. So for example, most of the communities we work with are Temuan, or um, some of the individuals are Semai. But there are a total of 18 official groups within the Orang Asli themselves. So it's super diverse. And to go and get to know every individual one, I think it's possibly a lifelong pursuit. Mm. Um, so I guess um, because I guess you have the enthusiasm to to learn more about the communities and I think because your potential participants can't join your programs right now um, do you have any other recommendations as, as to how they can perhaps learn about the communities um, maybe virtually or like even via readings and things like that sure well I think um, Google is always your best friend um, I think even on social media there's actually quite a few um, you know, pages that share about Orang Asli uh, affairs. So whether it's Center of Orang Asli Concerns, um, MS Solidarity, there are quite a few. Of course, these are quite um, social issue specific and hence why um, Native is also trying to, you know, build something that is more uh, casual, I suppose, uh, in the way that we want to share. Um, but yeah, I think you can always just Google about the RSC. And I would say like to those listening to always uh, question, ask like, oh, when you hear something about the RSC, like ask yourself, why? Why is it like that? And how can I distill it further? Like just to have that genuine curiosity. And it will bring you on this path like, that will lead you to learn a lot more things. All right. Okay. Um. So I wish you all the best for your uh, future initiatives and also for everything to be better so that Native can restart again, right? Um. But for people out there who like to find out more about Native or even to a certain extent, uh, your offshoot business, uh, BG Bumidurian, where can they go to? Sure. I think um for anyone who is interested in connecting with us, you can find us on social media, whether Facebook and Instagram, and our handle is Discover Native. Or for Bijibumi Durian, if you'd like to sample some of her durians, you can buy them at www.bijibumidurian.com. You've been tuning in to I Love KL and that was Daniel Teo, founder of Native, a social enterprise that collaborates with the Orang Asli community in the Klang Valley to provide community-based activities to the public. That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you miss any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at bfm.my slash ilovekl, our app which you can find via Google Play and the App Store and also Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin and you have been tuning in to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Remember to stay at home, practice physical distancing and stay safe. Join us again next week only on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.